Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. And uh, Andrew Unterberger, a senior editor at Billboard.com. So Trevor, are you allowed to talk about why you were out of the office last week? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I can. Um, for those who, well, I guess no one knew because we had an episode last week, so there was nothing skipped in, in that sequential, sequential universe. I was called out to do my civic duty last week and participate in the good old Sixth Amendment trial by jury process. I was not the person who was afforded the trial by jury because I was not on trial, but I was a juror. You're, you're an alternate juror. I'm just saying, like, you, you didn't actually serve. Let's, let's, let's give the people the truth. Let's actually... Um, so, yeah, so I was out as, <laughs> as a juror, um... Then an alternate juror, I, I found out. Unfortunately, when it came to came time to uh, deliberate and, and pass a sentence, so is that verdict. disappointing? Just because at that point you've put in the time. Um, it's uh, I mean a little bit. I guess it was kind of nice that I got to go home pretty like sooner than that because I guess I mean the part really you know is that it's there's there's no specified end date or time. You can deliberate for as long as it takes. And I mean this was a pretty I guess not to not to um demean anybody's uh, lawsuit, but, you know, it's a pretty low-stakes criminal case, so it wasn't like it was the OJ trial or, um, or as I found out, the Harvey Weinstein trial, which will be held in that building come July, so it wasn't like, you know, there was, you know, weeks of deliberation to, you know, figure this out, so... Um. Oh, you know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you were actually hoping that it would go a little bit longer, right? You were you were enjoying the experience. I, I really did like it. I, I have to say, I know a lot of people, you know, when they hear that, they're like, oh my God, jury dude, no, kill me, get out. You know, just, you know, I'll just get up there and say I'm a murderer and I can get out, you know, that afternoon. And it's like, no, like I, I actually, uh, yeah, really. I mean, it was, it was fascinating to hear multiple people try and tell the same story, at least tell the same story from different points of view. I mean, it's funny because you don't know if that's like intentional or it's like hmm. lapses in memory because this, this event occurred about 10 months ago. So it's one of those things where I guess it's funny because 
maybe you just don't realize that it's going to come back in 10 months, especially if you're not the person who's going to file the lawsuit. So, but yeah, it, it was it was actually really, honestly, really, really cool. I, I, I wish it had gone a little bit longer. Something, I mean, this was, I guess, somewhat somewhat higher stakes. It wasn't like a technical crime. It was actually like a like two people, like in a physical confrontation. Did you find out what the verdict was and would you have agreed with it if you had deliberated? So funny enough, I, I of course, like I couldn't be in the room because I wasn't, I guess I didn't have an actual casting vote. Um, but I, I did today actually go through the, the, the public record system uh, to find out what, what happened. And it was pretty easy to navigate. So shout out to nycourts.gov or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I found out what the, I found out. I, I actually would have disagreed. I mean, my initial thoughts, it has to be unanimous. So I'm sure that, you know, there had to be some deliberation and maybe I could have been persuaded, but but they ended up actually, I was a little surprised. And I guess they did it relatively quickly. By, by the way, I'm not sure that confessing a murder is the easiest way to get out. Or maybe it's the easiest, but I don't know if it's the most efficient way to get out of jury duty. Well, uh, I mean, if you're I feel a... Con- like that might lead to other problems that might <laughs> leave you tied up slightly longer than jury duty. Well, I'm just saying that maybe, you know, this has been, if it's done and dusted... You know, mm, so you're saying like you're saying I have been a murderer in the past and I've I've been tried for it. And, right, uh, got yeah. my pardon, and okay. you know we're all good to go. Well, they might have ways of checking that, but okay, it's it's, it's one strategy, I suppose. Well, the good news is, Trevor, you're back in time for the podcast. Yeah, I was. Wow, I was. Yeah, in the jury box, just sweating the whole time, <laughs> wondering if we were going to get out by Tuesday at four. Because who judge? I don't know. I don't know how to break it to him. All right. Well, uh, Andrew, part of the reason you're here this week, we're going to be talking artists that really change their sound more than other artists over the years, influenced by uh, Ed Sheeran's latest debut on the Billboard Hot 100. And I was thinking how when he started, we just knew him as pretty much a folk singer-songwriter. Hasn't been that in recent years. So uh, looked into other artists who've uh, been uh, changing their sound over the years. Started thinking about that. It's all a good topic for this week. So uh, we'll get into that this week on the podcast. Uh, yeah, Sheeran and Bieber's new single, I Don't Care, debuts in the top 10 of the Billboard Top 100, which sounds like this. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, one. Number 10. So you can take advantage of me. Tell me how's it feel sitting up there. Feeling so high, but too far away to hold me. You know I'm the one who put you up there. Deep in the sky, does it ever get lonely? Thinking you could live without me. Thinking you could live without me. Number 9. Can we just talk? Number eight. I promise that you'll never find another like me. I'm the only one of me. Baby, that's the fun of me. You're the only one of you. Baby, that's the fun of you. And I promise that nobody's gonna love you like me. Number seven. Number six. 
Number six. Then you're left in the dust. Unless I stuck by ya. You're a sunflower. I think your love will be too much. Or you'll be left in the dust. Number five. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying wow. Honey bands in my pocket, it's on me. Yeah, your grandma more probably know me. Get more bottles, these bottles are lonely. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying wow. Number four. I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type, make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type. I'm the bad guy. Duh. Number three. I'm a sucker for you. Number two. Cause I don't care when I'm with my baby, yeah. All the bad things disappear. You're making me feel that maybe I am somebody. I can deal with the bad nights when I'm with my baby, yeah. And number one. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna I got the horses in the back. Horse stock is attached. Okay, third week in a row. There's a new song at number two. A few weeks back, we heard Taylor Swift get up there with me. Last week, Sean Mendez, if I can't have you. This week, we got Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber. I don't care. None of them have been able to, with all their collective mighty star power, dethrone the track that is number one for a seventh week now on the Hot 100. That is Old Town Road, the one and only Lil Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, essentially, at this point, the fact that all these monster singles cannot stop it just goes to show what a... I mean, it's just barreling down the road more and more and more. Of course, if you're a betting person, go ahead and pencil in an eighth week at number one for Old Town Road. Now that the long-awaited, very much teased, what's it going to be, who's going to be in it, what's it going to be like music video, finally came out last Friday. So, uh, yeah, after months, it really feels like months at this point of, of, of talking about the video, it's out. came out on Friday, which somebody is a good strategizer at Columbia Records because that means all seven days – of the music video will be in next week's tracking week. You can expect, I mean, the song is untouchable now. Just imagine now this extra element and kind of the last uh, major missing piece of, of the total streaming domination is there. Eight weeks at number one to uh, tie Ariana Grande for the longest this year so far. Seems like a really a sure bet. Yeah, it's been so far ahead of the competition each week and with the video next week, likely uh, another big bump. Uh, I think we should probably open the discussion at this point uh how long is it going to be number one and are we already talking uh, no we're, the record? No, we're no, only we're not. halfway no we're not even not even halfway there well yeah. well I, i'm gonna i'm gonna project in the future right. and you know we're, we're basically halfway there but i mean it's i mean eight weeks eight weeks in this landscape is so is so many weeks i mean it's not like we have the good old release calendar where we can just kind of pinpoint well Kendrick's not coming back till here or Adele's not coming back till here. I mean, it could be tomorrow that Rihanna says, yo, check it out. It's coming Friday. And yeah, I mean, that being said, of course, Taylor couldn't do it. 
so far. Sean couldn't do it so far. Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber couldn't do it so far. So, I mean, like, except Adele? And we'd be looking at uh, end of July, so next couple months, really. All right, but it, it is, is the advantage still at the point, do you, do you think, where – it really is going to you're going to need like a major star with a major release to come out and beat it, or is it possible that something else can just kind of steadily gain on it and metrics, and eventually Old Town Road will start to sag a little once the music video's momentum sort of dies down. I mean, radio has really kicked in for this song. It's it's huge on radio now. So even even though the streams have started to come down, and I, I don't know at what rate people thought it would start to come down. I mean, that radio support, um, which I don't know, many people thought that that was going to be as as big a factor as it has been. Um, is up there. And even sales. I mean, sure, sales don't do in terms of volume a whole lot, but the fact that it was for the past four weeks, the top selling song of the week, now it's number two. And, you know, people are, of course, thinking hip hop songs really don't sell very well. Everyone's just streaming it. Interestingly, I will say that the original Old Town Road I saw right before coming in here is already down to 21 on Spotify. Part of that is because of Tyler, the creator with the new album. So kind of, of course, the debut week is going to get some of that going. But you know, there obviously are signs that it's starting to to slip a little, but oh. just because it's, I mean, even if it's just slipping at that steady amount each week. Yeah, it went from 104 million to 103 million this week. And again, the video impact will be next week. So uh, small decreases. Uh, Peter Rosenberg at Hot 97 says the song's over. He has declared it as such. He has. Oh, well, someone alert the ch- Gary, does he uh, yank it off the Hot 100? I, I, I will say it uh, goes to number one this week on the Rhythmic Songs chart. goes to number one on mainstream R&B hip hop. Also goes number one on Dance Mix Show Airplay. Uh, the other angle with that, Billy Ray Cyrus has his first Airplay number one since Achy Breaky Heart in 1992. Yeah, if, if you're having uh, two number one hits uh, 27 years apart, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, so number two, as you mentioned, Trevor, uh, Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber debut. Uh, again, yeah, about half the points of Old Town Road. So, How many streams in particular did this song get? Yeah, so uh, 34.1 million streams in its first week. It's actually number three, Billie Eilish, bad guy, number two with almost 40 million. And then again, 103 million for Old Town Road. So about a, a sizable, third, sizable a advantage. Third, yeah. Uh, also in the top five, just before we get uh, back to Ed Sheeran and his uh, evolution, uh, Billie Eilish has her first top five Hot 100 hit as Bad Guy goes from nine to number four. Uh, gains across the board, uh, number two in streaming again, uh, between I Don't Care at number three and Old Town Road at number one. Uh, at the same time, she gets her first airplay chart number one. Billy. Barry a Friend goes number one on the alternative airplay chart. Uh, Andrew, you were talking about uh, Billy months ago and, and this song. Does that surprise you that it's yeah, a no, number I, one alternative? I, I was on this uh, this very podcast, I think, with, uh, with my co-writer, Lindsay Havens, and I was I was yelling about how Barry a Friend was still below Barnes Courtney's 99 on the alternative songs chart. I think they were both in like, the high teens at that point. Uh, and alternative, I guess, has finally realized the, the error of its ways or at least seized on the opportunity that it was not seizing on previously. Uh, Billie Eilish is the biggest star in alternative music in half a decade, a decade, a, a very long time. And they're finally recognizing her as such. And Barry Friend is number one, and it should be. All right. So uh, going back to Ed Sheeran and uh, Justin Bieber. And Ed Sheeran started, uh, and, and lyrically, too, a song like uh, like A-Team. Uh, Lego House is a little little more of a, of a typical uh, lyric you might hear in, in pop music. But very folky, very singer-songwriter. And really lasted for pretty much one album because he was working with Pharrell after yeah. that. And he's gone much more pop since then. So I started thinking about artists over the years who've either uh, had one sound that's pretty much stayed throughout. If uh, Rolling Stones may be a great example. Uh, a new Rolling Stones song can kind of sound similar to what they were doing 
50 years Although, ago. Although, you know, they, you know, even they, uh, you know, they dabbled in disco, they dabbled in new wave. They, they certainly let yeah. their sound be influenced by the times, but you're, we, the chances we all had are, to adapt to survive, also, right? That's certainly true. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, certainly uh, compared to some of their peers, uh, the, a Rolling Stones song in 1964 could be a Rolling Stones song in 1994 and 2014, et cetera. Yeah. James Taylor, Elton John, Billy Joel, similar kind of uh, classic from the 70s. Sometimes isn't all that different. You know, to me, it comes down to the songwriting, a great song. If it sounds the same sonically, it's about the song for me. Sure. And uh, just going back to Ed Sheeran for a minute, I, I think I was writing about this a little bit earlier this week, but it's very much in parallel to me with the kind of path that Taylor Swift, his, his good buddy Taylor Swift's uh, career took, where every album is just, just a little bit, you know, a little bit further over the line to pop music uh, to the point where you know, four albums in you when you when you when you send out this this kind of subject prompt uh, saying, "Oh, we'll talk about how Ed Sheeran and like you know, how how dramatically he's evolved." And I was like, "Oh, I guess he has." I hadn't thought about that, but it's been so gradual that it, it never felt conspicuous. It never felt like, "Whoa!" Like, what, what was what's he doing on this song? It just felt, you know, it's it's a, it's a it was a short gap from from uh, the A team to to sing, and then a short gap from sing to thinking out loud, and then from thinking out loud to Shape of You, and now now here we are. Uh, he's trained as well. Yeah, he has indeed, and he's he's very smart. And and so was Taylor, and doing the same thing from uh, from her first album, Tim McGraw, going to to you know the Red Era, and and then to nineteen eighty nine, and and now yeah, we we don't we don't even think of her as as a, as a crossover artist in the same way. We just think of her as a pop star. All right, so let's go back to the sixties, seventies. We'll go forward for a different acts. We'll go around the room. She loves you, yeah. If you trace the Beatles from 1964 to 1970, uh, really after that, one of the first couple years when it was the, the real sugary power pop, like She Loves You, so different from uh, I'm the Walrus and just the ride that they went on and maybe the different uh, influences, uh, whatever was influencing them to, to do more psychedelic sounds in the late 60s. That's, sure, there were mitigating factors. There. That's a, a, an all-time example of an act that just, uh, and so quickly, you realized, gee, that was only about six years that that happened. Yeah, so yeah. I, I found a quote from an old, uh, there's a, there a, a Spin Magazine issue where they did a list of the 50 best bands of all time, and of course the Beatles were number one, uh, and they, I remember they said in the intro, and I, I found out the exact quote for this, uh, imagine if over the course of five years, NSYNC evolved into Radiohead, into the Chemical Brothers, and into Nirvana. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, like you said, they started off as a boy band, and they ended up at the, the, the kind of the peak of experimental rock and, and but towards the end of their career, and they ended up the, the consummate album artists, and uh, you know, creating these kind of rock symphonies, and it, it was uh, certainly a stark evolution, and, and, and so compressed in, into a relatively short time span. I mean, there's some artists that take you know five years in between albums, let alone basically living an entire career in that time span. So yeah, I think they're still probably the gold standard for for evolving as a as artists, at least within the band format, especially. George Harrison had a decent amount of, I mean, certainly with his his voyages across the world. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, from what I read of Beatles lore that that probably played actually a a, a big factor um, that obviously Lennon McCartney get most of the, the the star power and the credit and the recognition, but I think that also underlyingly like helped as well. I mean, 
soon after the concert for Bangladesh is kind of one of your first big solo projects after that's that's a statement that you know he's been working on certainly for years up until that point yeah and I, I think if you look at Lennon McCartney's solo catalogs that would I don't I don't think one is really that much more traditional than the other uh, Lennon he would do he did like old old rock and roll cover albums and he did you know his half of double fantasy was was very kind of maudlin and and ballad heavy and you know, whereas Paul McCartney, like around the time that, that John Lennon was doing Just Like Starting Over, which was, you know, his, 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 his first posthumous hit, uh, McCartney was doing McCartney 2, which is this really gonzo, weird synth pop album that sounds like nothing else in the McCartney catalog. So it's it's not like McCartney was averse to chance taking. It's not like Lennon didn't play it safe. And, and as Trevor said, you know, George Harrison obviously played a big part in that, too. Maybe Ringo too. I mean, I, I, I don't. I don't go too deep into the, the Ringo solo catalog, but certainly, uh, you know, the Beatles were some of their four members, and uh, each each one of them played the part and, and pushed them in different directions. And even as much as they went from pop to rock, uh, they left us with uh, "Let It Be" and "The Long and Winding Road." They kind of went uh, all of a sudden to this uh, really older sounding, beautiful music sound at the end. I, I think that they were dictating so much of the culture at the time that it was sort of the thing that what they said kind of went, and you know, they didn't really have a lot of flops. They didn't really have a, a lot of variance in, in their single performance uh, or album performance. It was just sort of, okay, these guys were setting the terms and you either followed them or you didn't. In the event of something happening to me There is something I would like you all to see uh, 60s really taking us into the 70s. The I, I wonder if a lot of people don't even ever even think of early Bee Gees or maybe they think the Bee Gees just came along out of nowhere in the mid-70s with disco, but uh, they had top 10s, 60s and 70s before then. If you listen uh, to their earliest hits, folky harmonies, uh, very much folk pop, and then uh, ballads, or To Love Somebody, and I Started a Joke, and then uh, it's a great example of an act that hits a current sound, and part of it is their invention, part of it is, is disco's rise, but that uh, I'm not sure there's a better example of an act that took advantage of a sound and just completely years into their career made it their defining sound. Yeah, and even if you look at their first number one hit on the Hot 100, How Came Man to Broken Heart, I mean, that's that's just a ballad. That, yeah. that, that has nothing to do with disco or, or funk or any of the sort of the, 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 the 70s soul sound that they were associated with. Uh, that's basically a British invasion song after the fact. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, those those early songs are really good too. And I think I think probably more people are more familiar with them than they even realize. They might you know associate them with with a, a different actor. Just kind of think of them as in the in the landfill of oldies radio. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, those those disco hits became so iconic so quickly, and 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 they've stayed that way. Uh, that you know, it, it, it's 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 if if you were to look at their '60s catalog, they'd be more in line with like a. You know, like a Jerry and the Pacemakers, or uh, you know, like a, the maybe the Animals, but not not like the Rolling Stones of the Beatles, but they were the Rolling Stones of the Beatles of the seventies. So it's 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 only it's only natural that their sixty stuff would be overshadowed by comparison. It's pretty much overnight here. I'm looking at their uh, catalog, and they had a couple uh, songs that peaked at ninety four and ninety three on the Hot One Hundred and seventy three and seventy four, and then mm-hmm. nineteen seventy five, Jive Talking hits number one. After that, Nights on Broadway, and those are not quite. As full on disco as staying alive and night fever, but it, it obviously shows at that point where they were going pretty suddenly. But as we sort of alluded to when you were talking about the Rolling Stones, there, like this, this was not a, a, a unique occurrence in the mid to late seventies of, of previously undance affiliated bands just going disco. And I mean, pretty much everybody did it. You'd be hard pressed to find the Kiss reference. The yeah, sure Kiss were in there too. Uh, Rod Stewart certainly famously. Uh, Chicago had a disco song. Like, like, they're, like they're, it really Barbara is. Streisand even got oh, it yeah, on the no, app. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think there's like an Ethel Berman disco album at some point. There's no 
uh, yeah, every, every I mean, that, that's just how big disco was at the time. Was that, and, and I guess the Bee Gees kind of set the template. So now, if you had a rock band, if you were a major label and you had a, a rock band on your roster, you would probably push them in that direction because the template had been proven, and the Bee Gees had success beyond their wildest dreams, and even a lot of these flukier bands that uh, that you that you don't. You haven't come to associate with disco since. They had one-offs that were pretty successful. Miss You by the Rolling Stones was number one hit. Do you think I'm sexy by Rod Stewart also a number one hit? So, yeah, I mean, there were a number of bands that were, you know, whether by choice or just by, by critical context, they, they, they sort of had to reinvent themselves at this point. And the downside of that is you can get uh, Chris Isaac once interviewed him and he said uh, part of the reason of his longevity and he's had one major hit, Wicked Game, that people know, but he can still uh, sell out shows and he's – uh, pretty much kept a, a sort of similar rockabilly sound, but he was very proud of the fact that I never caught a trend, and I never got caught by a trend. I was never, I, I was never the guy that had you know red lipstick and uh, hair extensions, and then all of a sudden had to go, oh, those pictures of me with red lipstick and hair extensions. I just, you know, I mean, in the, I remember in the beginning, somebody told me at Warner Brothers, they said. I came by and I had been surfing out in, in Los Angeles because I never got to LA and I, I was I'm from near San Francisco and I and I came down there and I was and I'd been surfing and I was all tan and I walked in and they said you look like in real good shape and I said well I've been surfing all day and all this week or something and they go well you should take your shirt off in your video and you should take your shirt off live on stage and I said that's not what I'm selling and I said and I'll be ridiculous my band would laugh at me. And I said, and then years from now, what am I going to do when I can't take my shirt off? I'll be washed up. I said, I'm going to wear a suit. And man, I'm, that's the smartest thing I ever did. I'm glad I'd be taking my shirt off and women would be going, oh, I'm going to get sick. I want to see this. When something uh, is, is that uh, eventually uh, kind of mocked like disco was, the downside is you can uh, unfortunately get caught up in that even uh, years after. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I would say that it's, it's still probably true to this day that the, the, the Gibbs don't necessarily get the respect that they deserve for being you know, among the greatest hit makers of, of the Hot 100 era and you know, the sort of the pre preeminent hit makers of their time, along with Donna Summer and Elton John, a couple other people, because they were so closely associated with disco. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I want to give a shout out to some of the artists who were uh, successfully able to break out of the, the old Motown machine uh, in particular. Probably, I guess if you have to give one the, the biggest claim, I would say Marvin Gaye certainly. I mean, you take his 60s material, which is very much in the, the classic Motown wheelhouse of 
um, you know, the duets with Tammy Terrell, you all need to get by the, the short little two and a half minute, you know, verse chorus, verse chorus, kind of easy, feel good structure. Flip it to the 70s, um, start obviously with what's going on. And I mean, that whole album, not just I mean, even, of course, the, the context of the, the political message of the song and much more purposeful uh, meanings behind the songs rather than just sort of really feel good, well crafted, you know, tooled songs to become big pop hits. Um, but, you know, you look at that and, and that, that's sort of one side of it. Um, longer songs, meditations, much more, uh, the production, a lot more um, uh, purposeful and, and, and specific. But then you go to something like Let's Get It On, even, which is a song that, you know, it's a perfectly, like, one of the best 70s songs out there. But it just feels, there's nothing going to be that overt, that that sexual, that forward that's going to come out of 1960s Motown by any means. I mean, you know, everything sort of had to be pretty whitewashed and, and keep it clean and for the kids. And so anything, I mean, Let's Get It On, the title... No way that was going to fly back then. And then you've got something like, uh, if you look at other number one hits, Got to Give It Up, which, first of all, is like seven and a half minutes, which is, I'm sorry, that's that's much too long for a song. Love the edit, though. The edit's good. (laughs) But, you know, he jumped into that disco pool. And greatly enough for him, you know, it wasn't like he was any sort of cultural vulture vulture or anything like that. But just to show that even just in those – quick successions between 71, 73, 75. You got three different sides of a guy who was kind of pigeonholed and pinholed into one style, just like most of those whole artists on the label were, but so few of them really, you know, when you think of a lot of those artists, you think of them as, as a Motown artist. You know what that means when you hear what kind of song that's going to be, what that's going to be like. And even though Marvin was Motown all the way through, you really get a much fuller picture and sense of, of who he was as a person, um, which unfortunately a lot of other artists were not able to do. That's a good point about lyrics, too, with uh, artists becoming more socially conscious that John Lennon, a song like Imagine, wouldn't have done probably back in 1964. The Eagles, Don Henley, they got uh, more in that kind of uh, that uh, style as well. So, yeah, the more you get to know these artists, the more uh, causes that are important to them uh, come out as well. in the 90s is anyone you guys you're familiar with Linus Morissette's pre-Jagged Little Pill music I mean I'm aware that it exists but I can't say that I've ever heard it yeah she had two albums in Canada yeah this was was before before the internet they were available in Canada you couldn't (laughs) really even get them in in the US so were you familiar with those before Jagged Little Pill came out no there. You can get those over Spotify. Girl. When I was when I was working in radio in the mid nineties, you can't get over Spotify today. <laughs> there was there was someone who who had one of the CDs and he brought it into the radio station. I think I taped it mm. somehow. And that was Ooh, before the YouTube. old that's, bootleg. That's how you got. That's how you got stuff. Shady, but, Gary. Yeah, she started as this uh, dance pop artist, and she was on TV. She kind of had this whole uh, similar in some ways to to Drake being on TV sure. first, and then. Uh, becoming what we would know them more as it kind of sounds like like if you to me it sounded like some of those early celine dion kind of like upbeat upbeat love can move mountains kind of song yeah. like <laughs> that's 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 the lane that i guess Terminal, she was early to go for. early deep celine dion cuts uh, but yeah then uh, when jagged little pill came along and she got a little flack for that the more people uh, dug into her story 
Can, can we believe your angst after all? Well, I, I think of along with that, uh, the, the, uh, the original Tori Amos was, uh, Back and going back to like the hair metal days, she was the the, the front woman for that called "Why Can't Tori Read?" And if you see the, the the shots of her from those days, she has the gigantic hair and uh, it very much seems to be playing into the times. But uh, yeah, she she switched up for the singer songwriter thing too in the '90s. And I, I think I don't know, it, maybe that was a subplot in, in both artists' very early days. But I think they were since quickly forgotten about, and, and now are just a, basically a footnote to their stories at best. That what do you got from the '90s? You gotta fight. Oh, uh, talk about the Beastie Boys a little bit. Who I guys sort of see uh, like uh, having a, a similar trajectory on the rap track as as the Beatles had uh, in rock. Not to call them the Beatles of rap music, but uh, you know they they started off uh, you know this this very kind of straightforward uh, frat boy rock, rap rock hybrid, and then they got uh, very quickly deeper into into sampling and into sort of very dense production and and really making kind of Beatlesque, you know, not not quite concept albums, but but albums that are where the, the sort of individual tracks are inseparable from one another. Uh, with Paul's boutique, uh, and then they got rid of the samples altogether and they went back to playing their instruments on uh, on Check Your Head and Ill Communication, and then they sort of went. All, they they, 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 they kind of ended their career by going all the way back to the beginning with the throwback hip hop albums like uh, Hello Nasty into the Five Burrows. So again, like uh, they sort of evolved very rapidly in a very short period of time. Uh, and also, I, I got to mention Radiohead, who's sort of the, the the gold standard for just completely chucking behind the the, the, the their, their their early days and their hit making days. Even though know, they had obviously tremendous success in, in the post grunge mold with with Creep, and then to a lesser extent in the U.S. with uh, the Bends, which. I had a couple radio hits that that you know don't really get talked about as much as Creep. I, I, that, that was the the album that I first heard of theirs, and it was pretty big at the time. But you know, the, the Britpop was a huge thing in the UK, and grunge was sort of dying in the US. And they just made a complete left turn uh, first with OK Computer, which was sort of a, more in a, in, a, in, a, in a Pink Floyd almost prog rock mold, and then with Kid A, which sort of you know jetted the rock mold entirely for something more electronic, more experimental, more ambient spots. Uh, and, it's, and that was their first number one album, the Billboard 200 Albums chart, which was just still pretty incredible to think about. But and that's still a, a move that, like, I, I think of today when you when you talk about an artist just completely changing their sound, especially one that had, that's had commercial success, but they, they just go complete left left turn with it and still stay on that same sort of commercial uh, that, that, those commercial heights. I consider it like pulling a Radiohead, pulling a Kid A. That, that, that that's still like an iconic thing to me. And uh, sort of maybe a weird comparison, but. Uh... I'm thinking of the Bee Gees when you say that because the more the extreme you go to, it's can some ways uh, be maybe harder to to change your sound from there. So when you go all uh, people know you as disco, where do you go after that? With, with grunge was just so definitive as a sound. How do you change your sound for that when people know that's that's what you are? Sure, I mean, and there's plenty of stories in rock history of of artists doing that and it being met with tepid at best response and reviews. Uh, you know, Lou Reed, Neil Young, uh, certainly like went, went through any number of, of, you know, cosmetic career changes over the course of their 40 years or 50 years. Uh, but usually when they went and they had one of these complete about faces, it was kind of met with confusion and, you know, disastrous charting returns and n- certainly nothing on, on the level of Kid A where that's still considered one of the best albums of the century. And, uh, in the end was, was a charting hit and, and, uh, I think not nominated for a couple of Grammys and, and and certainly like considered one of one of one of one of their peaks both artistically and commercially. So I mean it's it, it's 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 hard enough to convince convincingly reinvent yourself, but to be accepted for it as well is is is, is pretty impressive. Sure 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 
2000s, Pink started really as a, almost this a TLC kind of a, a rhythmic artist. Before there was Black Pink, there was Black <laughs> Pink. Yeah, it was. Uh, I remember when uh, I was again working in adult radio. We wouldn't we wouldn't touch uh, anything from the first album, and then get the party started came along, and it was, it was a little bit more of a shift. Okay, yeah, this this kind of works, but she's still maybe not quite a core artist for us. And ever since somewhere in the mid two thousands, and really started with the big comeback with uh, you in your hand, and who knew. Ever since then, it's been over a decade of she's about as automatic as you can get for an adult pop rock artist, pretty much. Yeah. She seems like one of those artists who, yeah, she she kind of rode that, yeah, that, I guess that TLC, Destiny's child kind of wave with like most girls and there you go. And I remember, you know, you know, she had all the attitude and she had all that people, you know, elementary school, middle school ate that up. And then <laughs> and then she makes that shift with the third album to go rock with uh, on Try This with like Trouble and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I guess it, like always when when it doesn't match up commercially, that kind of leads to this weird period of what are we going to do now? And and then, you know, had the Stupid Girl song that's at least kind of a fun in the sense that it parodied a lot of. The celebrity, you know, Paris Hilton's, uh, the Lindsay Lohan's at the time. And then you're right. Then it comes back with, with Funhouse and a lot more just straight down the middle pop and maybe a little more adult, which which, which it could kind of been there before, but never really fully expressed. And I mean, that's, that really has been the sound of the last decade. That's just carried her. It's, it's just so funny to think of like, I haven't seen Pink in concert, but I really would love to see like how those songs all mesh together. Because, I mean, I'm sure she could do it, but it'd just be kind of fun to go from... You know, from most girls, yeah. or or you make me sick to a glitter in the air, or or just like home, or something. I mean, the, the thing with Pink is that it never really like whether she was doing something more in a hip hop mold, or a rock mold, or a dance mold, or a straightforward pop mold. It, it never really felt inauthentic to me. It always just kind of felt like Pink. Like I, I, I never, at least like in real time, when when she was kind of going about her career evolution, I never really thought of any of her leaps in sound from one one genre to the other as being that jarring because it just sounded like her to me. I don't know. Like a, the attitudes sort of stay consistent throughout the the various projects and the various sounds. So to, to me, like, I mean, you're, you're you're right that if you were to play like most girls in glitter in the air back to back, it would seem shocking that they're by the same artist, but. To, to me, like that, that that's just like an, a, a career's evolution to me. That, 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 that never felt like, oh, okay, let's try this now. I mean, despite her literally calling it out and try this. Uh, and it never felt like uh, she was jumping on a bandwagon and it never felt like she was uh, you know, working on a, on a label mandate. Okay, now you're going to be a, a rock artist. Now you're going to be an R&B artist. Now you're going to be – like I, I thought of her as hip-hop when she first came out. I, I remember like she and Eve kind of came out around the same time. I didn't know what it either looked like. But I always sort of associated them together because I, I thought that that's there's there's songs sounding sort of similar to me. I mean, yes, yeah, a good point. I guess about the lyrics too. Again, like when you listen to a song like "So What" or um, I mean, even like even a song like "You in Your Hand," literally just from that title. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like she, yeah, she did keep that same that same energy. She didn't try to become some balladeer or something. And and she said, you know, a long time ago, she said that. She never wanted to be one of those artists who just stood up there and sang love songs they didn't meet or anything. Sure. So, so there's always been not this authenticity to her music, um, and and even the call out way back. What's with the call out in um? Was it just like a pill? Oh, she like, like don't want to be goddamn Britney Spears. Yeah, or like yeah. she's like like kind of countering don't let that me L.A. Re- don't let me get me. Yeah, yeah, right, when, yeah. Um, when like she's like sh- sh- like I guess that's shout out to L.A. Reid that they're telling her you know oh we're gonna be this big pop star or whatever you just got to be like. You know, Brittany or Christina or somebody. She's like, "Fuck that! I'm never gonna be that." And yeah, I mean, just just keeping that sense of self, I think, has really been a huge, huge, huge reason she's lasted so long. I told you if you called, I would come running. 
Across the highs and lows and the in-between You and me, we've got two minds I think as one uh, Also pink folk music uh, The duo You and Me with Dallas Green Put out a folk album Underrated so, album Yeah That's it. Oh yeah, Rose Ave, yeah oh, like Five years ago all right, similar era. The starters a rock band. Maroon Five. How much? How much rock credit are we going to give them? Well, harder, harder to breathe was an alternative hit. That's, cool. that's this wasn't a made huge alternative. Well, hit, but I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty one crunchy though. Song. It's, I mean, yeah, they quickly obviously went to this love. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it was interesting to me watching them at the Super Bowl because it was sort of the, the distillation of them at their rockiest, I guess. Because I mean, and, and maybe that's just the sort of live Maroon Five experience. I know, like we've, we've interviewed various members of them for Billboard, and they're like, "Yeah, people come to our shows; they don't realize that we're like an actual band that plays actual rock music." Fair, uh, but yeah, I, I'm sort of with Trevor on this one. I wouldn't say that that uh, that they really had like a tremendous about face. I would say they were always a. They were always basically a pop band, and then they 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 maybe just got shunted onto alternative radio because you know you see a, a band of four white guys. And I think people, you know, there's there's some st- strategists out there who will argue, you know, easy, you know, if you don't go in on the hardest genre, that's gonna be, you know, that's gonna be there to break through. I mean, pop was having such a big, you know, hit at the time. There's no reason they're gonna play new pop band where they can just play. I mean, same problem people run into today. You know, well, why play you? We can play, uh, I don't know, No Doubt or Britney Spears or. Um, whoever Kelly Clarkson or whoever else was hot at the time. I mean, I, I you know, I mean, even the, and and rock, you know, rock pop. I mean, Nickelback and and Hoobastank and all the other artists at the time. You know, that that was kind of that little that little line between the two was 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 pretty murky anyway. And I think that was a pretty easy way to kind of get in. And I mean, it's still a great song. So maybe that's just why they thought to go with that one. But I think it'd be it, it stands out, I guess, more. To hear that first, then this, then this love, or yeah. she will be loved, or something. Is the biggest evolution in Maroon 5's music the register that Adam Levine now uses more? <laughs> I think you can still hear him do it on those early albums. Maybe not on the singles as much, but I don't know. I mean, like she will be loved is pretty upper register, isn't it? It's really in that chorus. It's, I mean, the, the there, hook yeah. for sure. I mean, I will also say, I mean, another huge jump in their departure. I mean, to think of a rockish band. Having these early hits in 2004 and then by the mid-2000s collaborating with Future and Kendrick. And I mean, all these just, if you want to call them a rock band, the fact that they went from that to working with, I mean, they, they know how to grab a hit with an R&B urban artist. A SZA, uh, yeah, Kendrick, uh, a, a, a Wiz. Uh, it just is, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. And even before that, that they jumped they, on that like that. Even before that, they were, you know, working with all these like mega pop producers, like they're, they're the Shellbacks and Max Martins of the world. And, you know, rock bands don't really, or at least at the time, didn't really do that to such an extent that they were, they were clearly willing to do what was necessary to get on pop radio. That was definitely the goal. Yeah. That's the joint. Gotta mention the Black Eyed Peas, who uh, started off as a a conscious rap act in the late 90s, kind of peers of Jurassic 5 and The Roots, uh, and then they added Fergie, and then they, you know, Will Will I Am got more into into production and and pop music, and sort of over the course of the 2000s, they they sort of shed their their rap skin and and kind of reinvented themselves as electro-pop robots, I guess, Uh, and then by the end of the decade, they were sort of setting the the, the tone for pop music in the decade to come by, by going totally EDM, hooking up with David Guetta. Uh, and uh, having the two biggest hits of 2009, uh, I got a feeling in Boom Boom Pow. It's, it's it's one of the starkest when you look back. It's like, man, like how do, how do they get there from here? It's 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 pretty it's pretty wild. 
still even odder to me how they just really kind of went out on top. Um, yeah. I mean, they had obviously that that monster album with the end and three number one hits. Then they had the next album, um, not number ones, but still top ten hits and just can't get enough. And uh, Dirty Bit with the, the the sampling of the time, the beginning of the onslaught of eighty samples reworked by I like Pitbull and others. That was a good one. You like the time, Gary? Oh, you're such a sucker for the late eighties. Brings man. back a yeah. dirty dance, of course. But that, I mean, after that album, you know, went we, we, which was the beginning, of, ironically titled. Maybe that was, you know, a, a fun ironic joke. They they just kind of stopped, and then of course Fergie left a few years later. Um, but it just seems so odd to me that. I mean, with you know, they have that huge album. They do the Super Bowl, and then they kind of just like are all okay with it being over. It's, it's, yeah, it's I, I still wonder. Sort of the same thing happened with a couple, with a couple people from that period. Same thing happened with LMFAO. Uh, they they, they but they weren't on. I mean, nobody's on that, that on that consistent level in terms of. So they had two number one hits. How consistent do you want for one album? Well, but it's only one. I mean, they they made right, one fine. album. Okay. Like this is a group who's been together for a decade. I mean, they're like they're just moving into like they're. I mean, a total you know. At least, uh, maybe not a pop culture domination, but at least a chart culture domination. And you know, to have, I mean, the, those those hits in '09, then that new album in '10 back to back, and then just, I mean, you feel like you you they almost like owe us at least a flop album, <laughs> so we so we can at least say ah yes, and this is why the Black Eyed Peas went off into the sunset. But maybe it's just props to them for you know recognizing you know that they were that's what they wanted yeah. to do and they played on their own terms. But still, just so odd to me how it was so bad, so massive, and then it just silence. Kind of in that Black Eyed Peas mold. Somebody who, yeah, you, you forget those kind of obscure beginnings. Um, shout out to Catherine Hudson, mm. who we better know as Katy Perry, yeah. who started out, of all things, as a Christian singer. Uh, really influenced by her parents, who are, are, are very religious, as she's mentioned several times. Uh, did a couple, I think a couple albums as, as a Christian artist. Um, I mean, not that those were expected to be big commercial successes or anything in that mold, but... Really found her footing, of course, soon after that with, with her own pop stardom and embracing you humanism. Can't, <laughs> yeah, she she went to the dark side, and I mean, of course, you know the statement of "I kissed a girl" is your first song, and I'm sure that probably still causes you know some some ruffled feathers in the Hudson household. But yeah, I mean, really, you know, just to break out of that mold and become this this full fledged, goofy, nothing's off limits pop star. It, it is something that struck me recently hearing I Kissed a Girl for the first time in a couple of years. I don't know when the last time I heard it was. It sounds a lot more like it's, it's a lot more of a rock song than I remember yes. being. I mean, when you hear like just 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 from the opening like chords, like like there's, there's a that pronounced guitar underneath. Yeah, the like, like when, when, I, when I was listening to it, I was like, man, the thing this really reminds me the most of is like a turn of the century Marilyn Manson song. Like it's got that same sort of like doomsday stomp to it that uh, really, I mean, when you, when you compare that to something like Roar or like, uh, you know, a birthday from from uh, from a couple albums after that, like she 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 came a long way herself, Katy Perry. Even as Katy Perry, removing the, the, the Catherine Hudson days. All right. So this decade, we pretty much mentioned them. Uh, Ed Sheeran, we pretty much covered. Taylor Swift, who uh, officially had the documented change from country to pop. It's a beautiful day. Something dumb to do. Hey, baby, I think I want to marry you. 
Um, I guess the jury's still out on exactly where this person's going to land, but uh, I feel like are Bruno you, are Mars... Are you an alternate on that jury, too? <laughs> no, no I'm, a, I'm a full voting member. Okay. Um, my streams count, too. Bruno Mars <laughs> is, I mean, when you think of the, what the first couple albums were, I mean, very middle of the road. Um, I mean, good hooks, poppy, up-tempo, you know, kind of things for the most part. I mean, just the way you are was kind of that, you know, just a very good, like maybe the pop version of a neo kind of singer songwriter kind of song. Um, even Grenade, you know, had that, that same kind of formula. Locked Out of Heaven moved the needle a little bit. I mean, obviously the the police and the '80s comparisons were pretty were pretty on the nose. But when I was your man, took it kind of back in the middle. So I felt like it was going to be a very, you know, safe top forty, you know, lock kind of guy. Maybe if you want to think of him as. Maybe a, a Maroon Five type that would be kind Ooh. of his kind of his kind of his lane for the longest time. Just you know, you're cool. You're cool with him. You know, the, the, his songs are you know great for high school first dances. But you know, your mom's like him, so he's just what a guy. Um, and then Uptown, <laughs> <laughs> then Uptown Funk comes out, and I don't know if that was you know h- how far ahead that was playing about Twenty Four Karat Magic. But then, I mean. Just like Andrew was saying with um with the weekend, okay, now Bruno dances. Now he's got a little swag to him. Now he's got more flair, and you know his costume choices and yeah, the fashion became very important, incredibly important. I mean, the Super Bowl with the afro and you know the I mean, the full black jumpsuits, things that you know twenty twelve Bruno probably would have never been able to pull off. Um, and then of course, I mean the music, twenty four karat magic, full on R and B album, very much owed to as he mentioned in the album of the year Grammy speech, the baby faces, the Jimmy Jams, the Terry Lewis's. This is not, you know, just sort of a a straightforward kind of everybody album. This album has a purpose. It has a point. It has a feel. It has a flow. And of course, that's the last we've really heard of him from a single album. So not not sure where he's going to land. And you know, hopefully, hopefully, for my take, he doesn't go back to that that safe kind of top forty route. But even even if he does, just just that jump between the first two albums of Duops and Hooligans and Unorthodox Jukebox. The 24 karat magic is, you know, a biggest shift, I think, as we've seen from anybody. And they're all hits. It's, it's, you know, I'm sure the nice thing for Atlantic Records and his his sanity that he can make that tr- make that transition and not lose a single fan. Oh, I, I think we're, we're seeing Bruno like very slowly move up the retro timeline. So if uh, 24 karat magic was mostly like like gap band up until the, the New Jack Swing era. And then Finesse was obviously very the, the remix Finesse was took it from New Jack Swing into the 90s. Please me sort of like a, you know, the, the Jodeci type ballad. So uh, maybe now we're up to, I don't know, no Dr- Diggity Blackstreet or Jermaine Dupree. Kind of that's, that's era. Yeah. We looking at, yeah. Which is good. I think it's about time for that sound. Maybe, about, maybe, so. some, maybe, a, little, maybe a little early Scott Storch in there. Oof. Too, I, don't, I don't know if we're ready for that yet. Maybe, maybe oh, here, here's an idea. How about the new soul Bruno Mars? How about like Erica Badu? Well, uh, no. The I do not, not want to hear uh, Brunoism. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to <laughs> No, that's exactly what I want now. Now, anything short of Brunoism is going to be an abject <laughs> failure on Bruno Mars' part. Wow, yeah. If you, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in Brutalism. Wow, yeah. Uh, I guess one other artist to close on. She's been uh, so prominent here in 2019. Uh, Ariana Grande in, in our uh, Women in Music, when she won last year, Woman of the Year, uh, talked about how uh, she started sort of along the sound she has now, but in between, something like Break Free. She said, I, I it kind of looks back on that as that's not the sound she really wanted to do, that straight uh, ahead pop dance sound. It seems like she's kind of going back to the sound that she wanted from the beginning when she started with The Way and then something like uh, Seven Rings and Thank You Next, that's more the sound that uh, she wants to maybe do going forward. Yeah, I, th- I think she she 
is an R&B artist at heart. I think that's where that's where her musical passions lie. I mean, she, it's, it's half R&B and half musical theater, I think, is, is, is the recipe for Ariana Grande. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Zed songs probably aren't totally where passions lie. And a, a couple, you know, a couple of those not a sort of hit sort of cheesy hip hop influence songs like, uh, like Problem and Focus, probably not totally where she wants to be. But yeah, I, I think uh, problem is a great song. It's a good though. song, but, but, I, but I, I can see what you mean. Yeah, uh, but it, I think she's she's more at home doing you know she's she, she's probably more at home doing the way and 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 that entire uh, yours truly first album and now uh, kind of the, the the more modernized and uh, you know streaming friendly uh, R and B sound that she has now is it's it's that 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 seems to be where she would have pushed herself all along if she if she had complete control over her career and now she does so. And I guess I mean for her, the ultimate vindication's got to be these are the biggest hits. Oh yeah, these are these this this is what's successful now. So, you know, maybe you guys should have listened to her all along. <laughs> all right, uh, it wraps things up for, for the podcast this week. We'll see how the videos play into the Hot 100 next week with Old Town Road and I Don't Care. We'll see if it's a week two battle. Uh, uh, the videos are out. Perhaps most importantly, we'll see if we can get a, a record tying fifth song marooned at number two behind Old Town Road. Yeah. Which uh, again, too early here to tell on uh, Tuesday when we were taping this, but new Halsey. Yeah. We think Tyler, the creator earthquake number one this it's, week it's off, across the board. It's definitely going to be his biggest hit yet. I mean, th- but that, there's not much competition for that. But it's, I mean, hey, it's been number one all week on Spotify. Right. That's something that, uh, that Taylor didn't do. It's something that, that I don't care. Didn't do. So it's going to be his first top 40 hit for sure. Well, we'll, I mean, talk about a dark horse, but we'll see. All right. Halsey, another artist who's kind of uh, gone from different sounds. Yeah, well, this, I, this, I considered mentioning her. Yeah, it kind of takes us back to New Americana a little bit, more mm-hmm. of her uh, pop rocky side than some of the pop rhythmic stuff she's been doing. This song, uh, Nightmare, uh, the new song, sounds sounds the most like what I pictured Halsey like sounding like in her own head. I, I, I feel like – I mean, maybe this is slightly you know, prejudicial because I you – know, I, I miss guitars and pop music, and I miss I miss rock music in general being kind of a more of a mainstream concern. But uh, she was she was an emo kid. She was a pop punk fan. She loved Blink One Eighty Two, as, as as sung about on on the Chainsmokers Closer. Uh, and th- this this sounds like the song that Halsey was always destined to make, and I, I hope it is as successful as some of her other songs. Well, from Halsey's head to your ears, here it is. Here's a snippet of her new track. Check it out. It's called Nightmare. So save me a press deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.